0: Hi and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr Anthea Rhodes, paediatrician and your host for today and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, paediatrician Dr Lexi Frydenberg. Welcome Lexi. Thanks Anthe. Today we're talking about common things
1: kids catch at school, including nits or lice, worms and school sores and to help us bust some myths about these common and troublesome bugs and conditions we're joined by the lovely Josh Ozawicki, paediatrician and infectious disease specialist at RCH.
0: Thanks for joining us Josh.
2: Nice to be here.
0: From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. So Josh, these sorts of itchy, scritchy bugs are some of your favourite topics, so you get to talk about them now for, for the next little while and help us all get a bit used to how we might deal with them. One of the first things that we want to talk about today is knits. So I know that lots of listeners out there will have had their own experience with knits. I certainly have myself. I think it all started for us when my eldest was in prep and I got the dreaded phone call from the school nurse to tell me that... He had nits and I had to come and pick him up. So you know, I did did the walk of shame, collected him, home via the chemist, and so began a very long and painful relationship with NITs in our family. He's in year five now and we've been combing for a few years. So lots of listeners will be able to relate to this. Can you start by telling us about what nits are and why they can be so hard to get rid of?
2: I think the first thing to say is that we share the planet with trillions, gazillions of tiny, invisible things, uh, and they live around us, inside us, on us, and most of the time we all get on fine. But every once in a while, uh, something happens, and uh, it's a bit disgusting or really annoying. Uh, and most of the things we're talking about today aren't uh, aren't dangerous, um, but. God, they're annoying.
0: Absolutely. Really important point there. I think we live with stuff all the time, don't we? But most of the time, it's not of a huge consequence.
2: And the thing about lice, so lice are tiny insects. So we're talking about lots of different kinds of bugs today. We use the words lice to talk about the insects, so tiny little uh, things that have arms and legs and a face if you look hard enough. Yes. Um, and uh, and then we use the word nits to talk about their eggs. If you've got a an active infestation, if you uh, if you need pest control, uh, you it, know it. You know it. <laughs> yeah. You know it because you've looked for it and you found something close to the scalp.
1: So the insects um, you can see, but the eggs look a little bit like dandruff.
2: They're not so big that you'll find them if you're not looking. Mm. Uh, but if you go looking and they're there, you'll see them.
1: Does it matter? Does it pose any risk to the child or to, to their health?
2: Lice uh, doesn't really pose a risk to their health. Some kids can scratch their heads so hard that they can end up kind of breaking skin and, you know, and occasionally you could end up with kind of a secondary bacterial infection. But that's really, really rare. The way we get lice uh, in our head, head lice, is, uh, is that we put our head near someone else's head. And we don't do that very much as adults. Yeah. Unless we've got young kids. <laughs> Unless um, you
0: lie down to read them a book at night and then, you know. Share the pillow yep. and put your heads sure together. Sure enough, after a week or two, you're itching as well. So,
2: so that's how adults get lice. Uh, they're not protected from lice because they're immune or something like that. Yeah, uh, We get lice because we put our heads near other people with lice. Just And that's just how kids get lice as well. Dealing with it is usually pretty simple and straightforward. When I say simple and straightforward, I don't mean easy. Okay, yeah. so right. maybe
0: that's a good chance, Josh, for you to tell us a bit more about what parents actually need to do.
2: So first of all, they should see it. So, you know, it, it's not it's not a matter of this is probably lice, you know, get that magnifying glass out, get that lice comb out and actually have a really, really good look and see those moving lice, see those nits right near the scalp. and. You know, make a decision to, to get started with treatment. And the thing about treatment is that your pharmacist, your GP can help you with these things. Uh, there's really great uh, kind of information around on the Department of Health website and uh, in other places. Um, and, you know, most of the products work. There are two real kinds of products, um, or really three, um, in that uh, one uh, is essentially insecticide, so poison. Uh, and you're, this is uh, a low concentration of poison that is poison for lice but not for humans at at these concentrations.
0: I think that's an important point because actually sometimes parents do worry that these things are toxic and then that has led to... Other products that are, you know, heavily marketed as non-toxic and and maybe safer or alternative.
2: These insecticides, certainly if you, you know, if you drank them at, you know, a full concentration, just like everything under your uh, kitchen sink, you'd be in trouble. But we're not talking about doing that. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about using it usually like a shampoo that stays there depending on which product for 10 to 20 minutes or you know for many hours overnight potentially but one of the issue with the insecticides is that um is that some amount of lice are resistant to each insecticide and so usually if you've had a treatment you'd expect every moving louse to be uh still uh within about mm-hmm. uh, within about 20 minutes yeah. and if they're still moving lice you know a couple of hours later uh then you know pretty good sign that whatever you used didn't work. You've got some um, super
0: lice going on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a whole bunch of products now that um that essentially work by suffocating the lice in a like a film of muck. Um yeah. and uh and they they can't breathe and uh and again, you know, within about 20 minutes they'll stop moving. Um and then you need then you'll need to comb them out uh and then the Last method is is the kind of conditioner method, which is just really laborious, uh, uh, mechanical. Uh, you know, taking them out uh, yes. mm-hmm. with a with a lice comb and some and some conditioner, and to do that, you need to do that pretty much every day or every second day for a a week or two. Um, Whereas with the other treatments, you're really talking about two treatments about a week apart. And the reason that you need to do it like that is that most of the treatments kill the adults, but not really the eggs. And so you need to treat twice within within that life cycle.
1: And is there any evidence for any preventive chemical treatments or is it just combing, checking and treating if lice are there?
2: There's not much evidence mm-hmm. at all for preventive treatment. I think checking, treating uh, is is what you've got to do. The key. And and uh, and the other thing to say is tie long hair back. My own daughter has gone to school for a couple of years, uh, pretty much uh, with the Princess Leia buns on the side of her head, uh, because her mum. Uh, Definitely doesn't want her to get lice.
0: <laughs> so there's the tip tip from the ID specialist right there, and, and the very clever mum. Slayer. And what about a couple of other myths I've heard around prevention? One is hairspray. Is there? A, do you know if there's any sort of evidence to that that copious amounts of hairspray are going to keep lice at bay?
2: I think they, it keeps everything at bay, doesn't it? <laughs> it keeps friends at bay. It keeps. Uh, if you're looking for magic uh, to deal with lice, you, you, you're going to be looking for a long time. Okay. But you know, I completely understand that when your family is overrun by lice, you you really want it. You, you are want looking something. for magic. I you think when you go to magic. the
1: chemist and you see entire aisles full of treatment, if there are so many options, usually it means there's nothing that really works better than anything else.
2: Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's a really good. Um, a really good rule for most things. Yes, you know when you go around certain parts of the world and you see people kind of picking lice out of the hair. That's basically just a slow version of the conditioner method.
0: <laughs> the combing, yeah.
2: Um, and you know, and you, you'll you'll know that there are people who actually provide that as a service. Um, and yes. th- that you can kind of get them to come to your house to do this to work. To
0: vacuum it out of people's <laughs> hair, I have well, heard.
2: It's, uh, it's, all just, it's all just the same idea. You can poison it, you can smother it, or you can remove it.
0: Okay. And while we're on that, one more question, what about the environment? So obviously you can remove the the lice and, and the nits, the eggs as well, from the hair. It's unlikely to catch it from a pillow. What about things like hats, helmets, hairbrushes?
2: Lice is not mostly transmitted that way. Lice is mostly about head-to-head contact, and and lice uh, lice survives not for that long off your, off a head. Do, do I encourage people to wash their sheets in general? Yes, it's a good idea, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, should you be having, you know, should you be washing fairly regularly? Absolutely, you know, uh, your body um, and your hair, absolutely. But you know, is is it the difference between uh, between uh, a lice problem and no lice problem? Not really.
0: So moving on to something sort of perhaps equally as gross, that you, you know, and maybe it might even overtake lice, we're going to talk about worms. So there are actually lots of different sorts of worms. Josh, perhaps you can tell us a bit about that and what's the most common for kids.
2: Yeah, so there are heaps of worms. Um, we don't have most of them in Australia uh, at any kind of, at any major level. The big disgusting worms that you, you can imagine being like a bowl of spaghetti, people don't really have them in Australia uh, in any great number. But the worms that most people think of are the worms that make uh, that make children uh, children scratch their bums. Um, so pinworms or threadworms they're called, um, and they seem a little bit like lice to be one of these problems that we you know feel are almost part of childhood. And some kids just some kids just need just seem to be scratching their bums all the time, um, and. A fraction of the time, it's because of worms.
1: So the pinworm or threadworm is the most common worm we see here in Australia and usually the kids present with an itchy bottom, it's worse at night, it might disturb their sleep and they they can be quite irritable and, and not want to eat as much as well. So those parents often go and seek treatment for the worms. Is it worth them trying to find the worms in the middle of the night? What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so I think I think the thing to say is that there are lots of reasons why a kid might scratch their bum and, uh, and that... Finding the worms at least makes you makes you sure that that's what it is. Whether or not you do go look for them or not, uh, if you uh, you know if your kid is still scratching their bum after you've done everything you think you should have done, uh, then you know it's probably time time to you know make sure that that's what the problem is. First of all, they come out at night, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and uh, and you might have seen them. They're like tiny, tiny little string, uh, tiny little uh, kind of pieces of cotton wrigg- wriggling around your uh, your child's bum in Just the dark. Just like I threadworm. Exactly. The, the way to kind of make the, the medical diagnosis, if you like, is a very fancy test. Uh, it's a sticky tape test and <laughs> it basically involves a, a piece of sticky tape that you put on your child's bottom uh, at night very briefly and then take it off and uh, give it to someone to look under a microscope and they'll see more than, more than the worms themselves, which you can see with your, uh, with your naked eye, um, they'll see the eggs of the worms and you know, be 100% sure that that's what you're dealing with.
1: But I would say that's the rare circumstance that someone would do the sticky tape test and look under a microscope. A lot of parents actually get a torch and during the night they go and have a little look. Um, And if they see the worms, they're convinced. But even if they don't see the worms, it can often be the cause of the itchy bottom and the story we mentioned before. So we often treat without seeing the worms.
0: And they're they're there at night, Josh. It might help people to understand a bit about the life cycle. So that's because that's when they sort of come out to lay their eggs. Is that right?
2: Yes. They. Like like a lot of uh, bugs that affect humans, it's all about poo, yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
2: And and unfortunately, it's all about us eating poo. Mm. Um, and uh, and you know, and I think the the safest way to think about that is that everywhere that there are humans, there's poo. There's a thin layer. There's a thin layer of human poo all over the planet, um, and you just. Uh, so we you're all... not
0: already washing your hands because of coronavirus. You <laughs> will be now.
2: Absolutely. Um, there's human poo all over the place. That's basically where these worms are. They have a you know part of their life cycle outside of your body, and then you uh, then you uh, swallow them, and they do their thing inside your body, and then they lay their uh, lay their eggs uh, in your bum and. Uh, and the cycle I goes round that's and around that's kind
0: of clever because if, if they make the, the kid's bottom itchy, the hand's more likely to go down the pants, scratch, pick up a bit of poo, and then that gets under the fingernails or, you know, we're talking about at a very microscopic level, not, you know, necessarily something you're going to see as a as a parent on your kid's hands, but then when their hand goes to their mouth, either to eat or just because we know people do that, they touch their face, then the worms go back in and on goes the life cycle.
2: Well, it's not that we're eating these threads, no. we're actually we're actually managing to ingest
1: eggs. And one of the questions I often get asked is what about pets? So can pets transmit can you catch worms between pets and humans and vice versa?
2: Yeah, so that so the worm that's giving us all uh, itchy bums isn't being given to us by dogs yep. or cats
0: or important. other pets. Yep. So you've got a kid with an itchy bum we're thinking okay you may or may not have decided to go hunting in the night and actually get some evidence but either way you're at a point of thinking look this could be worms we should probably treat what's next
2: um so the next the the thing about this just like lice is that uh, is that your pharmacist is your friend head down to your pharmacist ask them a question and head home with some treatment and with all almost all of these it's a similar story to the lice uh in that you need to interrupt that life cycle and so you take a dose to kill them, to kill the ones that are going to get killed, and then you take another dose uh, usually a week uh, or two weeks down the track um, for exactly the same reason, because the drug only kills the worm at some points of the life cycle.
0: Great. And in terms of side effects or any reasons or concerns about taking that medication regularly if parents felt they needed it often for their kids?
2: So I I think the, the important thing to say there is that you hopefully won't need to take it regularly and after you know and after doing that kind of thing a couple of times you know if you if you still think that this is what's going on it's probably time to make sure that this is what's going on and around then might be the time to catch up with your GP
1: yeah great okay so you've talked about treating the worms when you suspect them what else can can parents do or families do to try and prevent the worms to keep coming back
2: yeah, so this is, uh, this is one that's a little bit more uh, than lice about stuff like cu- keeping your nails short and, uh, uh, you know, and keeping, keeping things around the house, you know, clean. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, but even then it's going to be really hard. And it, it comes back to what I said. What I said in the first place is that you know no home is no home is a hospital, and you don't want your, hosp- your home to be as clean as a hospital. It's not that's not healthy either, um, and uh, and it's very very hard to eliminate that thin film of poo from everything.
1: Right, but so with worms, keep the fingernails short, lots of good hand hygiene, which we've all learned about this year. Um, treat early, and I think the other important fact is to treat the whole family at the same time, as well as retreating about a week later. So we've talked a little bit about the most common worm, pinworm or threadworm. What about ringworm?
2: Yeah, so ringworm, uh, the, the great thing about ringworm uh, in terms of the disgusting list of worms that we could talk about, like that bowl of spaghetti I mentioned, is that ringworm's not a worm.
0: Not a worm. That's so what is it? It's a fungus, isn't it's,
2: it? it? It's a fungus. So it's related to basically that uh, that mold on your uh, on your bread, or uh, if you've ever had thrush. Similar kind of family of bugs, and just like these other things, really, really hard. Uh, to get rid of in the environment, it's on skin. It gets transmitted, uh, you know, from skin to other people's skin, either through direct contact or fairly quickly through things like towels and whatever else. Everyone's, you know, most people listening would be uh, would be familiar with the word tinea, mm-hmm. and everyone knows tinea from their feet,
1: because
2: yes. um, that's that's how we use the word tinea. But the word tinea gets actually gets um, used. All around the body and it's called like body tinea or foot tinea or head tinea um, or nail tinea um, depending on uh, the fancy Latin word that you put after the word tinea. When you have tinea on your body or ringworm, it's basically a round, uh, usually almost circular, red kind of scaly ring and usually the skin on the inside is completely normal and the skin on the outside is completely normal and there's this almost like a little ridge of scale uh, around that ring. There are some other things that can look a little bit like it, yeah. um, but you know, certainly in, in most kids, that's what it is. It's usually a little bit itchy. It really causes any real problems beyond being itchy and annoying, and it goes away really easily if you treat it. You actually uh, can treat it with creams, with antifungal creams. Yeah. Um,
1: Once again, they're over the counter. You don't need a script for those.
2: Yeah, and. Again, because there's about a hundred of them on the wall uh, <laughs> or ten of them uh, you know it's a pretty good they suggestion that they all actually in a work. similar way and usually you'd be using them a, you know a few times a day for a couple of weeks.
0: and I guess, talking about how it might spread from one part of the body to the other or perhaps within a family that's where washing towels and thinking a bit more about the environment and how it might be spread is another factor i guess not completely avoidable but something that you might be able to do to slow that down yeah, and
2: keep yourself dry you know get out of the shower dry yeah. off as best you can you know with Little babies sometimes there's an issue where the way that their toes, their gorgeous little toes, fold yeah. over. You can end up with kind of uh, with a lot of water in those creases. So um,
0: fungus loves moisture, doesn't it? Yes. it. So That's it. I guess in the same way that you talked about the loaf of bread, that if it's you know sweating it up somewhere, then you might end up with some fungus growing. Similarly, in different nooks and crannies of the body, keep them dry, less likely to have a problem.
1: And if you're going to public pools, or if your kids are going to school camp definitely get them to take a pair of thongs because it just sits there in those shared bathrooms
0: all right so moving on to another um, topic the third one for today and the last one josh school sores so can you tell us firstly what what are school sores that a lot of parents will have heard of these
2: yeah, so school sores are caused by my favourite group of bugs, the bacteria. There's really um, something
0: strange about infectious disease specialists. <laughs> they, love they love bugs, bugs. Yeah. and gross things.
2: Guilty as charged. Um, so, uh, so school sores. Uh, so we we use the word impetigo for school sores, and it's just another word for for a skin infection of the quite superficial layers of your skin. So right on the outside. And and because it's really superficial, it doesn't. It tends to be kind of sometimes a little bit itchy, a little bit annoying, but rarely really really, really painful. And impetigo is basically a bacterial infection of those uh, of those layers of skin by two groups of bacteria. One called Staphylococci and the other one called Streptococci. Basically, when you look un- look at them under a microscope, they look like little uh, little circles. Um, and uh, again microscopic bugs that you can't see Um, but what they do is they make a home in that little layer of your skin and again they like certain areas so the classic kind of areas uh, in uh, little children are around the mouth and around the nose so areas where uh, that we touch a lot areas that we scratch a bit as well and uh, and what happens is when they start uh, making a home um, in your skin the first thing that'll happen often is is like a little red dot you know and uh, and then that dot will kind of it will progress a little bit and maybe become something closer to like a tiny little pus-filled blister and then the whole thing kind of falls apart and you end up with an area of skin where the skin's not quite normal it's red it's a bit inflamed and often has this kind of yellow crust over the top and that yellow crust is a pretty good clue um, that this is that this is what's going on
0: so yeah when it comes to school sores or impetigo and as you said these are caused by bacteria so this is the situation where we would think about antibiotics so the other bugs we talked about before Fungus, parasites, worms are not going to be treated with antibiotics, but this particular infection would be.
2: Yeah, um, and for most of our kids, it's going to be uh, it's going to be topical antibiotics. So if you've got kind of only one spot or a kind of a very uh, very small area that's affected, then using uh, using a cream kind of three two to three times a day for five or so days is going to do the job. Um, but um, And that's a cream that your GP is going to be able to prescribe for you. But if you've got lots of spots or if they're, you know, a little bit bigger or a bit more extreme, then, you know, then you're going to be on some tablets for a few days or syrup.
1: Yeah. And so parents might look and know straight away, oh, this is school sores and they've seen it before. The other things I think parents often wonder, could this be cold sores, which often around the lips or mouth in younger kids? Could it be chicken pox? Um, could this be eczema? And you know, often it's quite confusing for parents. What would you recommend if they're not quite sure?
2: Yeah, so sometimes it's confusing for doctors too. Absolutely. Um, mm. And uh, and I think you know, I think the the beginning is that you know, usually a cold sore is kind of one area, one spot, one area. These are these are often kind of you know a little bit more scattered. There's a few little dots around around that kind of crusty area. I think the thing to say is that we see cold sores occasionally in children, but not that often. Mm-hmm. We see school sores a whole lot more often. Yes, um, And uh, I think your, your GP is in a good position to give give you a bit of advice about this and to get things started. The reason to treat this is that those bacteria don't only cause impetigo; They also can cause uh, more severe infections and maybe not in your kid, but in some other kid. Yeah. Um, so
0: that's, that's important, I think, isn't it? And part of the reason why it's a pretty strict stay at home until... You've had some treatment and it's getting better with school sores. Yeah,
2: so most of the things that we've discussed today, essentially the school, the school kind of exclusion criteria around starting treatment. You know, if you know your kid's got lice, start treatment, then they can go back to school. If you know your child has impetigo, start treatment, then they can go back to school. If you know your kid's got ringworm, start treatment or cover it and mm-hmm. get them back to school. So most of these conditions shouldn't keep kids off school, shouldn't keep kids away from school.
0: Perhaps an interesting question along those lines is we're using a lot of hand sanitizer now. Is that going to be equally as effective um, to prevent the spread of this type of infection, school sores, and some of the other things we've talked about today?
2: Yes, yeah, so, so hand sanitizer will do the job. Um, I think the, uh, and so will soap and water. Yep. Um, but uh, as with all these things, it's about using it properly. So actually letting, letting it do its job, putting it on your skin, letting it dry. You know, and it's, you know, the hand sanitizer doesn't work immediately. It works over kind of 30 seconds or so. So let it dry on your skin.
0: And along that hygiene lines, one more question. So when we're talking about washing of linen and bedding and some of those things we've talked about today, sometimes parents ask me, does it have to be a hot wash? So there's this idea that it's got to be above a certain temperature, you know, maybe 50, 60 degrees, and then similarly got to be dried in a hot dryer or in the sun. Do those things really matter?
2: so when it comes to things like viruses it usually doesn't matter that much it's about kind of soap against the fat that surrounds the virus it just dissolves it um but when it comes to thinking about staphylococci streptococci the bacteria that cause impetigo the advice that we usually give is is a hot is a hot wash. Um, okay. Not that many of
0: us hot wash anymore. No, so, it, um, would, it would be unusual enough. It, can the make, other, that, it makes the colours run. So,
1: <laughs> But when you're, uh, I see a lot of kids with allergy and eczema and we'll talk about that on another day, but how star-smart are these little bugs you can't see that often cause allergy in kids and they also need a really hot wash. Yeah.
0: Okay. So Josh, we've covered lots of things there today. Thank you so much for, um, you know, talking us through some of the itchy, scritchy and, and less desirable creatures that we do live mostly in harmony with, but can also cause some niggling problems and sometimes set us up for bigger problems. So are worth getting in and treating for parents at home.
2: Yeah, so I feel like one of those, uh, you know, marine biologists who studies sharks, you know, um, you kind of end up falling a little bit in love with the, the, <laughs> the with the subject of your work.
0: I bet you have a magnifying glass at home. I, I believe you. It's going to be, it'll take a lot for me to fall in love with a, a louse yeah. or some lice, I think.
1: I'll be happy when they're over in our family. But it's been great to talk all these gross common things and realise they don't actually cause a lot of harm or illness to the child or to the family but they can be incredibly annoying so often worth treating and the treatments are usually quite easy.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today, Josh. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a review. You can also find additional information about knits, lice, worms, school
1: sores and other germs in children through our Kids Health Info webpage and the links will be in our episode notes today. And please hop onto our Facebook page and let us know what you think about the podcast and what you'd like us to talk about in the future. We're currently planning Season 2 for next year, so any ideas and suggestions are welcome. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.